This is Apotheosis, the second podcast from the crew at Code Punk, where we talk about cyberspace, cyberculture, and cyberpunk. You can go to codepunk.io to read our articles and also check out our other podcast, the self-titled Code Punk Podcast, hosted by myself and co-host Bill Ahern. You can also find that podcast in your favorite podcast application, as well as on YouTube, since all recent episodes are recorded in virtual reality. I'm sure you're tired of hearing my opinion on Boing Boing at this point, so you'll be happy to know that this is the last Code Punk post and apotheosis podcast episode on the subject. In fact, this is much shorter than the others because even I'm getting tired of hearing myself talk about it. We covered both the history and the controversy of Boing Boing previously, so we're going to conclude with some lighthearted Happy Mutant dialogue. I wasn't sure how I was going to end this arc, but several months ago, I started buying 80s and 90s books that looked at cyber culture and the early internet. In addition to some Mondo 2000 gems, we'll get to those in the near future, I picked up a copy of the Happy Mutants Handbook from the crew at Boing Boing. As I began to read through the book, I realized that it represented a transition, a true inflection point, where Boing Boing moved from being a source of cyber culture it factors to be in the affiliate and comedy-driven platform that it is today. There isn't much doubt that the early Boing Boing zine was a smash success in underground and cyberpunk circles. In fact, Code Punk co-host Bill Ahern even pinged me on the matter after the last two entries in this Boing Boing arc, mentioning that he was a big fan of the early zine work. Boing Boing didn't just assemble the component parts of cyberpunk into a readable digest, but actively contributed and influenced this early culture. In an era where paper was transitioning to electrons, Boing Boing was creating a community through words, influencing much of computer culture on the West Coast, essentially taking over for the Whole Earth catalog, which was busy trying to transition to an online forum called The Well. Boing Boing as a zine was both a victim and a beneficiary of early art blog culture. And although it continued to thrive with its quirkiness, it lost the edginess that made it prominent with cyberpunk, underground, and hacker cultures. This downward slide is nowhere more apparent than in the Happy Mutant Handbook, in my opinion, the magnum opus of the Boing Boing side evolution. Subtitled Mischievous Fun for Higher Primates, the book attempts to take a playful look at internet culture on the new frontier. From the back matter, it reads, Are you sick of the package reality they keep trying to sell you? You know, bad TV, hideous magazines, clueless computer technology, and lame attempts at quote-unquote leisure activities. It's enough to make you build your own rocket so you can find a solar system that doesn't suck so bad. So the book has its usual suspects of early cyber and counterculture elites, including Bruce Sterling, Rudy Rucker, and Are You Serious? But it also includes the usual mix of Boing Boing editorial, including the trademark hyperbole. If you were expecting a book filled with insider knowledge to hone your skills on cyberculture frontiers, you'd be sorely disappointed. Beyond the introductory chapter, you'll find chapters on reality hacking, computers, odd cultural figures, of course toys, 
and some reading material. Happy Mutants might start promising with looks at Burning Man at a time when it was still kind of an underground movement, hacking, and some quality early internet guidance, but it quickly devolves into a portrait of quote-unquote cool gadgets, zines, and other cultural wares. Most no longer relevant for today, but still a quality part of internet history, which we all enjoy. Still, the Happy Mutants handbook telegraphs the direction of Boing Boing as a company, with a lessening emphasis on the cyberpunk and underground niche elements prominent in the zine to pranks, oddities, and gadgets that would be more likely to drive clicks. In fact, a significant portion of what it means to be a happy mutant is apparently dependent on your effort to prank people, judging by the amount of space various pranks take up in the book. Don't get me wrong, I certainly appreciate the articles on the Church of the Subgenes. Unfortunately, Happy Mutants is less a handbook and more a collection of blog posts, thoughts, and streams of consciousness stapled together by Boing Boing Editorial while being loosely tied to a few name brand cyberpunks. They even go so far as to profile some of the more famous people in the cyberspace realm as happy mutants, but well after the fact. In tracing the short history of Boing Boing as a publication, a weblog, and a company, it's clear that they find comfort in being a kids-in-the-hall version of cyberculture journalism. But when you remove a handful of key personalities from their editorial masthead, you're really just left with the dust and the awkward jokes. We're now going to do a couple of readings from the Happy Mutants Handbook. Invasion of the Paper Smiles by Carla Sinclair. So this is the first reading that I'm going to do. Imagine a smiley face drawn on a paper plate with a thick black marker. Now imagine seeing hundreds of them plastered on street signs, telephone poles, bus benches, and other city fixtures. The strange smiles greet you every day for weeks, even months. When they are torn down by irritated city workers, they are replaced by fresh ones overnight. A year later, you still spot these eerie, happy faces staring down at you as you speed along the freeway. Anxiety sets in. Where are these generic smiles coming from? What do they mean? Who's messing with your mind? The above scenario is something that's been going on in Los Angeles for years now. Many pranksters specialize in playing anonymous tricks on the masses. Instead of tweaking the minds of one or two humans, they'd rather play with a whole city full of people. They quietly infiltrate an urban area with familiar yet unsettling symbols or words, and they kick back and watch as the populace is swept into a cloud of confusion and paranoia. We called the Cacophony Society and other prank masters, but to no avail. Nobody seems to know where these devilish smiles are coming from. We are baffled. While obsessing over the plates, we were surprised at the amount of fuzzy-headed people who denied ever seeing them. But we fixed that. We took these unaware folks on a smiley face tour and have been informed that these people haven't been able to put their blinders back on. They see the uncanny smiles everywhere now. Last time I went to LA, I noticed that some of the plates have weathered and smeared from the rain, making them look more ominous and grotesque than ever before. Other plates, however, are fresh and crisp, reminding us edgy citizens that they are still out there. Rowdy Robots, David Peskovitz. On a San Francisco pier in July 1994, a crowd of people gathered to watch the Master and the Beetle fight each other to the death. Children laughed as the Master tore the Beetle's skin open and began to eviscerate it, but the Master suddenly ran out of energy. The audience roared with approval as the Beetle went in for the kill. 
No, they weren't attending a pit bull contest or an ultimate fighting tournament. They were at the first annual Robot Wars, an event created by toy designer Mark Thorpe, where contestants were not risking flesh and blood, but silicon and circuit boards. The idea for Robot Wars came from an invention gone astray, says the 50-year-old Thorpe, who for 12 years was chief model maker at George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic. I had this idea for a radio-controlled vacuum cleaner. It was fun, but it wasn't very effective. So I took the vacuum cleaner off and, just for the heck of it, mounted a battery-powered chainsaw on it. Over 1,000 people coughed up $30 to ooh and ah as 16 radio-controlled robots created by engineers, artists, and students from Industrial Light and Magic, Maxi Software, and even a Fresno, California high school sought and destroyed each other in four separate games and three weight categories. The rules were basic. Robots were forbidden from firing untethered projectiles such as bullets or missiles or squirting flammable liquids. Other than that, pretty much everything was fair game. Thorpe thinks Robot Wars could encourage universities to better balance their budgets between athletic programs and engineering. After all, Robot Wars is a sport, albeit an unconventional one. Many people don't realize they're sports fans, Thorpe says. Robot Wars appeals to everyone from those with a world wrestling mentality all the way to computer programmers. This last one is a short one, and I'm actually including it because it's a good look into the mindset of Boing Boing and what they find interesting and how it relates to culture and how it relates to the internet. Because this article is actually about Patch Adams, which of course became a movie starring Robin Williams. And this is from Gareth Branwen, Patch Adams, Why Be Normal? Patch Adams, MD, likes to make trouble. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, he generates controversy and inspires a raw form of hope. He's big, he's loud, he's extremely intelligent. He'd probably be terrifying if he weren't so disarmingly friendly. Both a family physician and a professional clown, Patch travels the world lecturing on health care and his community-based hospital called the Gesundheit Institute in West Virginia. Few people can resist his wacky antics and his genuine desire to help people enjoy their lives. A major studio is currently planning a motion picture based on Patch's life. Patch has a male fetish. Write to him. And it has the address there. And I find that interesting. Actually, the address is in Arlington, Virginia, not in West Virginia, where the Gesundheit Institute is. And I find that interesting because it, it basically shows you the convergence of the interests at Boing Boing, which includes modern cinema pranking and humor and not necessarily the internet just that they probably found this story on the internet and that sums up the direction that boing boing essentially headed uh, throughout its lifespan you had a couple of key personalities who kept the focus on internet technology on privacy on security on on internet culture but the vast majority of them just happened to be working on the internet and their interests did not necessarily pertain to internet technology. It was just the use of internet technology. And so it became a blog about cool toys, cool gadgets, movies, fun, and ultimately pranks. And so again, a vast portion of the Happy Mutants handbook is either about pranks, about prank-like things like the Church of the Subgenius or about humor in general and not necessarily about the internet and internet culture. And that has been how Boing Boing has devolved over the years from its original state as a highly successful, in my opinion, and highly relevant cyberpunk zine to essentially being this weblog with affiliate links and popular pranks. 